Hi everyone and welcome to Spark Leadership. I'm Wendy Tepiso Maledu, a senior behavioral scientist at CoachUp and the host of this show. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Nicholas Yanni. Once a successful theater director, Nicholas has devoted his life to the study of human potential and over the last 20 years he has gained an international reputation for his transformational coaching and leadership development seminars. His work bridges the worlds of creative, personal, spiritual and professional development in a uniquely powerful, relevant and accessible way. He spent over 30 years researching the theory and the practice of the zone of peak performance in art, life and work and has studied and practiced multiple mind-body disciplines. He co-founded the arts-based consultancy Olivier Methodrama in 2001 and now teaches at the IMD Business School in Lausanne and the University of Oxford Syed Business School. His recent book, Leader as Healer, sets a new paradigm for 21st century leadership. And this is what we're going to focus on today in our conversation. A warm, warm welcome to the show, Nicholas. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Great to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Happiness. So one of the standing features of the show is that we start with fun facts with our guest. And at the end, we wrap up with some predictions on the topic that we'll be sharing um, today. So can you please share with our listeners one interesting fun fact about yourself? (laughs) Well, It's not so fun for me, but people who know me as kind of very serious and very spiritual, which I I am, are sometimes amused to learn what a passionate football supporter I am, a lifelong supporter of Chelsea Football Club, which I'm delighted to say I've passed on to my son as well. So he is carrying on the tradition. I'm a soccer mom myself, so I completely (laughs) (laughs) understand that. Happiness. So let me dig a bit deep on on your theatre experience. I mean, your career is colourful. You started it in theatre and then transitioned to leadership. What led you to the path of um, the subject of leadership? Well, my 20 years in theatre were really devoted to a kind of in-depth exploration of what were the deepest, most open states that the actor could go into, where she or he was like their body was completely open, their imagination was open, their emotions were open, uh, because those were extraordinary moments. And every artist knows that. Actually, I think we all know those kinds of moments. But the great study in all fields is how does that become more intentional? If you look at sports teams, they're working with this all the time now with psychologists, even now with neuroscientists, they're bringing in some of the the top soccer teams. That was my whole passion for, for 20 years was how could this be more intentional? And then towards the end of the 90s, I was involved in the opening of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London, which was directed by my my best friend at the time, Richard Olivier. And I composed a whole percussion score because that's one of my other skills. 
And during the rehearsals, we were invited to do a three-day exploration with a group of public service managers using the Henry V, which was the, the opening play at the Globe. And to cut a long story short, at the end of three days exploring leadership through the themes of Henry V, they all said without hesitation they'd learned more about leadership than in countless normal management training. So this kind of lit a, a light bulb for us. So we spent the next few years really developing a methodology that came to be called mythodrama, and it's now very, very well known. And we started getting better and better at it because it really took us a while. You know, it's a big jump from working with actors to, to working with senior leaders. And we got really interested in working with people who were in power in one way or another. And in 2001, we all quit the theatre, which I had never expected to do. And we founded Olivier Mythodrama Consultancy. And the work just blossomed. I mean, very, very quickly, we were working all over the world. We trained more people to work with us. And, um, you know, that continued for, for a good 10 or 11 years until I felt the need to move away and focus initially more on what I called the pure presence work without the mediation of Shakespeare. And um, that's really, you know, been my journey. And then three or four years ago, these words, leader as healer, dropped in, you know, the way ideas suddenly come to you. And at a certain moment, I rather hesitatingly mentioned it to a couple of CEO clients, not, you know, really wondering what on earth they would think of such an unusual term. And they were so pro it that it kind of gave me a lot of encouragement. And the rest is history. I started thinking about it a lot, talking about it a lot. And then one of my great supporters, Michael Watkins, who wrote The First 90 Days, said, Nicholas, write a book. So on and off, I wrote the book and it's just been published. And I think it's really remarkable in a way, the timing, because I do think three or four years ago, a book with that title would have passed as something a bit strange. And there's something about the title that is so relevant now. And I'm finding it's it's not only had a tremendous response, sales are much higher than the publisher could have expected. And, you know, as we say, it's a topic whose time has come. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. You mentioned you first started talking about the concept of leader as healer with senior leaders, which led to writing this book. So can you walk us through this concept a bit more so that we get a better understanding of what's behind the theory? The starting point of leader as healer is that we have become chronically disconnected as a culture. I would actually say catastrophically disconnected, by which I mean that our left brain thinking mind has assumed such a dominant position and feeling, sensing, intuiting, mindful, meditative sensation, all of that has been relegated to the very outer fringes of life. That means that we're walking through the world with less than 50% of our capacity online. It's like everything else went offline. So we're navigating very challenging times with very inadequate capacity. 
when this is normalized, normalized means we don't realize, we think that's normal until we wake up. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. In the wider picture, it's catastrophic because our left brain thinking mind does not feel anything. We do not experience the world with our left brain thinking mind. So if that is our primary function, we're walking around numb and disconnected and disembodied, which I'm sorry to say is the reality. Until we see it, we don't realize it. You know, I've had two instances in the last few months where two very senior leaders I'm working with, each in their own way, has come to a coaching session and said, Nicholas, I've just realized in our office, no one is really listening to anyone. Now, they before our work together had never noticed that because they were in the normalization where people talk to each other, but they don't really listen. Because listening means I hear your words and I feel you. That's listening. And I cannot feel you with my left brain linear mind. So if that's running me, I'm not listening. And it's only when someone begins to bring more of themselves online, becomes more deeply present, that they start to see the absence that is at the core of our culture. Actually, I have a new client today, and he already told me that in their virtual meetings, team meetings, they start with five minutes mindfulness guidance. Why? Because he said afterwards they have a much better conversation. So people who jump from Zoom call to Zoom call and they're in this doing, doing, left brain uh, dominant function, that's no way to go into a Zoom call. If you take a few minutes, even two minutes before to take some deep breaths, feel your body, connect with your emotions, you're going to show up in that meeting as a leader in a totally different way totally different way. Another of the CEO I coach, um, when we began, I said to her, okay, you really need to start a meditation practice every day, 20 minutes minimum. And she was like, Nicholas, I have a child. I'm a CEO. I don't have time for that. And I said to her, okay, hear me. If you commit to this, I promise you that within a few months, you're going to get much more done in your day with much more precision and much more ease. Mark my words. Guess what? Three months later, she said, Nicholas, you're right. This idea that we don't have time is the dysfunction we're in because we're in this doing, doing, doing mode and brainwave function, we're in beta wave frequency. Of course, we feel we don't have time because we're totally out of any natural rhythm. This is the whole first chapter of the book, which is the integration of doing and being. When I settle more into an inner sense of being and all my doing comes out of that, I will have much more time. That is a literal energetic truth. I will have much more time. When someone says I don't have time, it's simply a symptom of how fragmented they are. And leader as healer is a healing of fragmentation. 
When I am settled in being, I have time for everything. It's nothing to do with clock time, nothing whatsoever to do with clock time. According to Nicholas Yanni, leader as healer is someone who is aware of the disconnection and disembodiment in today's culture of left brain dominance and someone who's capable of healing that fragmentation. I asked Nicholas to highlight some of the components of this healing process. <laughs> if we start from the notion that whole parts of us have gone offline, then in a way the different chapters of the book are about these different parts that we need to bring back online. For instance, embodiment. So when we were children, we felt everything in our bodies. Life was an intensely physical experience. And in our education, that gets gradually reduced. Everything is about the left brain. And we gradually lose contact with our body. It's very simple. Our culture is disembodied, fundamentally disembodied. Someone actually said to me recently, my body is just something that carries my mind around. I mean, that's tragic because, you know, if you think about, I, and I often say to people, you go to a good exercise class, you go to a good yoga class, your body really comes alive. You walk outside, and for a few minutes, you're in a different reality. And it's a much, much more interesting reality. You feel more alive. You feel more at home in yourself. Everything is more vivid around you. So why is that so exceptional? We're so out of balance that that seems exceptional. I think that should be the norm and it should be exceptional that we sometimes lose contact with our body. So... You know, someone who is embodied has a very, very grounded presence. That's very important in how a leader comes over to people. We've also absolutely forgotten how much information we get by sensing the world through our body. And I mean, I've been doing that for years. My discovery with that is still astonishing me how much more subtle it gets. If you look at indigenous tribes, people, pre-industrialization, and you look at their relationship with the natural world, with the animals, with the plants, with the trees, and you immediately understand how totally they feel the world. So that's what we're hardwired to do. So if we're not using that capacity, it's like a massive possibility within us is dormant. It's crazy. So I do very deep body work with people. It's very deep somatic work and it's very transformational. People come out of a deep exercise where we're really beginning to bring the body back online and they're sitting there in a state of astonishment. Wow, wow, I don't remember ever feeling like this. And then there's a very, in many ways, often the most critical part of the work is with our emotions because we've developed all these really erroneous ideas about emotion, that emotion is weak, we should never be vulnerable, and above all, that some emotions are positive and some are negative. I utterly reject that. I completely reject that idea. There is no such thing as negative emotion. 
People believe that fear blocks us. It's nonsense because when someone is allowed to feel fear, literally feel it, feel their anxiety in their body, they feel safe enough. Someone is with them and says, it's okay, just feel it. Stop explaining it, just feel it. What almost always happens is the person feels very open afterwards, very available, very grounded in their body. And then we understand, no, fear doesn't block us. I block fear. That's the problem. I'm not allowing myself to feel fear. You take a simple example of a team meeting. And, you know, now there's a lot of anxiety of different types. But let's say the leader is mature enough to notice that in the middle of this important discussion, people are, there's anxiety in the room. So she or he pauses the meeting for a moment and says in a feeling way, listen, I think there's a lot of anxiety here. It's so natural. I feel it as well. Some nights I'm not sleeping well. Let's just acknowledge that together, that there's anxiety here for us. That's all that's needed because in that moment, literally and metaphorically, people take a big breath. <sighs> they can relax. And guess what happens after that? Their thinking process gets much clearer. So we need to have a radical rewrite of the whole relationship with emotions and start to understand that the only thing emotions need is to be included, not exiled, not told they're wrong or negative. That just creates more and more fragmentation. So mature teams simply make an appropriate place for emotion and it changes everything, changes the whole landscape of how connected people feel, how energized people feel. Emotions are energy. And then we already spoke about mindfulness and meditation a bit, but the important thing to understand is that the corporate world has dumbed down mindfulness. And I hate to see that. It's like it's become a thing that stress people use to feel less stressed. And that's such a, a degradation of the you know, 3000 year old discovery about consciousness. Mindfulness has a much deeper purpose. Its purpose is to really open and ultimately dissolve some of the, the core experience of separation that we're in. That's the deeper purpose of mindfulness. It's not a stress reduction. And then of course, purpose is a really important topic. We know now, I mean, there's so much research about different aspects of purpose and how the organizations that are thriving are ones that, you know, have really reviewed their purpose and they've understood that organizations that simply want to make profit, that's finished now. That's not okay anymore. And there are a lot of very powerful speakers in the business world who are really working in a new way and actually proving that we can make money and serve the world at the same time. And that's a conversation that has to be had now. It's not enough to, to just go on in, in the old way. We're, we're at a cliff edge. I think civilization is genuinely a threat and I'm not the only person who thinks that. So do we take that seriously or do we want to bury our head in the sand? And having a proper conversation about purpose is very critical. It's also very energizing because I believe 
without doubt that deep down, first of all, people actually want to give. Secondly, we know from all the research in happiness that giving brings us much deeper and long-lasting satisfaction than taking. And when teams get energized about, you know, what's the real meaning of what we're doing? What's going to happen when I end my working life and look back? Has it been meaningful? Really meaningful? And if not, what am I doing? And part of that is people saying, I don't want to spend 40, 50, 60 hours of my week doing something meaningless. What's the point of being alive if we're doing that? It's time to really think in bigger pictures now. I love that question you ask, what is the real meaning of what we are doing? And as organizations, how do we stop and review that? As we bring this to the close, I've already alluded at the beginning that we, you know, we do that miracle question in coaching and we're saying five years, 10 years from now, what are your predictions about the future of leadership and leader as healer? Well, I'm not sure about prediction. My wish is that the new wave that is coming in through many thought leaders, of whom I'm only one, will become mainstream. And I see that happening. You know, I, I see that even what was a trickle three or four years ago has gained so much momentum. So my wish, I wish it was a prediction, but my wish is that in five years' time, the majority of organizations will be living in a much deeper alignment with the integration of profit and contribution and service. And that workplaces will become places that are genuinely inspiring for people and meaningful for people more and more and more. Who knows? Some wishes like birthday wishes do come true. Maybe your wishes will come true. They do indeed. They do indeed. I think we'll leave it <laughs> at that note and watch the space as this wish comes through. Thank yes. you so, so much for your time, um, Nicholas. This has been insightful. It's been challenging, but this is conversations that we need today, now. So thank you for pioneering in the space of leader as healer. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, Wendy. The word purpose resonates a lot with me. Nicholas mentioned that purpose is key and organizations need to review their purpose. They must answer the question, what is the real meaning of what we're doing? Today's leaders must possess potent powers for logic and strategic reasoning, yet they must also be empathetic and therefore embodied, grounded and intuitive. Leader as healer is a crucial quality for organizational leaders to embrace. Thanks everyone for listening. If you like what you've heard and want to explore more, head over to coachhub.com and learn how we democratize coaching across all career levels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other streaming platform, please give us a rating and leave a comment. My next guest is one of the world's top leadership experts, a best-selling author and once a personal coach to Steve Jobs, John Matone. We'll discuss unlocking your potential through what he calls intelligent leadership. You definitely don't want to miss this one. From everyone at Coach Hub Studios, have a wonderful day. Happiness.